as professionals, we need to help them reframe some of the, their thoughts and their experiences so that we can decrease not only their pain intensity, but also the duration of their pain. So as we work with patients and we reframe some of these uh, behaviors and thoughts, that it will change the way pain is produced in your brain. It'll dull it, and many times it'll take it away 100%. Okay, hi folks, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I am Dr. John Duffy. I am your host today, and, um, and we're going to get right to it today because we've got a lot of ground to cover. My guest today is Dr. Joe Tata. Joe is a director of physical therapy, and he is the uh, author of a brand new book called Heal Your Pain Now, The Revolutionary Program to Reset Your Brain and Body for a Pain-Free Life. So we are going to talk, I assume, Joe, a lot about managing pain, maybe particularly chronic pain. Is that is that where our specialty is? That's correct. It's great to be here with you, John. Today yeah. we're going to talk about how to heal chronic pain naturally. Uh, that That is awesome. Um, I have worked with so many people for whom this is the root of their undue anxiety is that they experience chronic pain. And, uh, and, and it's something that is, I, I, you and I were just talking a moment ago, that I find so resistant to kind of um, my methodical, um, you know, ordinary treatments. Um, and, uh, and I always wonder, what is it that, that somebody who is an expert in pain management, what is, what is the secret to, uh, to, to managing this stuff, especially when whatever underlies it may not be going away. Is there, is there an easy answer to that question? It's a great question, and it's a wonderful question to start the podcast off with. And I, I have a podcast myself, and I often ask people this question, but I'll tell you what the answer is. The answer is the way to alleviate your chronic pain for good is actually to change your beliefs around what chronic pain is. And we could talk about that in, on the podcast today, but oh. changing your beliefs around what pain is and your pain experience is the fastest way to alleviate your pain and get rid of it for good. Okay. And, and do you mind speaking to that just a little bit? Because I, I would imagine if, I, if I'm a sufferer of chronic pain and I'm listening right now, I'm hanging on by a thread and I want to know what that means, you know, like, because I, I think it sounds almost too good to be true, right? Boy, if I can just shift my belief system about the way I think about my pain, then I experience it at least in a different way. Yeah, it's, it's great. So what we're going to do today, John, for your, your listeners, for your tribe, is we're going to create a <laughs> curriculum for them as to what chronic pain is and what it isn't. And as we do that, we'll bust some of the beliefs and some of the myths around chronic pain. But to, to start, what we really have to do is identify and look at the difference between acute pain and chronic pain. Perfect. So let's, let's start with acute pain. Acute pain is that pain we all know very well. So that is when you fall and you get a cut on your knee or you mm -hmm. get a scrape or a scratch. It's when you sprain your ankle. It could be when you fall and you break your arm or you tear a ligament. So with acute pain, there's been some type of injury, some type of tissue injury. So right. either muscle, muscle or ligament or nerve or tendon has been damaged. Now, whenever a tissue in your body is damaged, there is a natural inflammatory process that occurs in the body. And your body has a wonderful ability to heal itself and to heal that tissue. And that inflammatory process is predictable. 
So if you had that little cut, we've all seen this in in, in kids and in ourselves. That little cut takes anywhere between seven to fourteen days to heal. It scabs up first, and then it gets replaced with nice, nice, healthy uh, skin, new, right, new skin. Right. If it's a bone, if something you know larger, uh, bone and ligament can take longer. That typically takes anywhere between usually around three to four months to fully heal. Okay. So the take-home message with acute pain is that it's from a tissue injury and that your body has the ability, every single person has the ability to heal that within about four months. Now, once that inflammatory process is done, not only does the swelling go away and the redness, but your pain goes away also. Right. And you go, you go about your life and you're happy and you, you never really think about the injury ever again. And with acute pain, part of the good news is you know that this is going to be time limited. And you can even predict, as a doc, you can predict like, well, I can tell you roughly how much time this is going to take. And so maybe I give you um, something for the pain, an anti-inflammatory. And then, you know, within, uh, on the long end, four months or so, you're off and you're living your life pain-free or reasonably pain-free. That's right. An acute injury with, with some kind of tissue damage is very, very predictable. So as a doctor of physical therapy, when I evaluate you, I can pretty much say, okay, you hurt yourself, you know, three days ago, and this is going to take about eight weeks mm-hmm. or 12, 12 weeks to heal. Got it. Now with chronic pain, and chronic pain is defined as pain that persists beyond a three-month period of time after an injury. Okay. So even though your body has gone through the healing phases and has healed the tissue, the swelling is gone, the redness is gone. Right. For some reason, and we're learning more and more each day when we study pain science and neuroscience, that the pain continues even though the tissue has healed. Mm-hmm. And that's really the distinct difference is that with an injury, as you're healed, the pain should go away. But for some people, the pain persists. And is there an underlying um, belief in your field or just, just within your practice about why that might happen? Like what, what's the difference between somebody whose pain just dissipates in, in what, an expected period of time and somebody whose pain persists beyond that time and maybe ad nauseum? Yeah. So we have a vast amount of research, both from the worlds of physical therapy, neuroscience, and psychology, mm-hmm. that proves that when you have this chronic persistent pain, that it has more to do with changes in the brain right. than what's happening in the body. Got it. Got it. So, so would you argue that, that um, for chronic pain, a lot of, of, lot of what happens is cognitive? Absolutely. There are, there are cognitive impairments actually that happen with people with chronic pain. So when you look at um, what cognition is, and you know this better than I, John, it's that executive function, that ability to make decisions, that ability to store memories, that ability to have attention. Right. All that is cognitive. That's the front part, the highest levels of your brain, the most evolved part of your brain. And when chronic pain persists, even those higher levels of your brain can be impaired. Sure. Um, and, and not to take us off our track of the program you're presenting to, uh, to my listeners so generously, um, but um, I find that with something as visceral as pain, um, shifting cognition is not the easiest thing to do. No, it's not. And, and the longer you have pain, the more cognitive deficits and impairments that one may have. Now, these, of course, are, are not readily observable to someone with pain or to, to a friend or family member. 
Um, except that you will find when you speak with people who have chronic pain, you evaluate them, they'll often say, you know, I'm tired or I, I can't think today or I have brain fog today. Sure. So you, you will see these signs and symptoms, um, you know, creep up in conversations, but um, they're not readily observable. Oftentimes you have to, you know, see a clinician who is skilled at, at seeing kind of the underlying um, root causes of things. Right, right. And Joe, let me ask you an unfair question. <laughs> um, can you predict um, who's going to suffer which type of pain? I mean, you know, is, is, there, is there a personality element involved in this? It's a, another great question. We, we don't separate pain. So we don't separate pain anymore into like back pain and neck pain and knee pain. We really just term things pain because all pain is pain. Sure. And I think a really important message at, at this point of the podcast is to, for everyone to realize that your pain is always real, that you're not imagining it, and it's not in your head. Yes. That it's actually a changes that happen in the brain and in the in the nervous system. So the question about being able to predict pain, we're learning more every day. There are a couple of different groups that we know are predisposed to to developing chronic pain. The first group, which we have the most evidence around, are those that have had some kind of trauma early mm-hmm. in life. Got it. And that trauma can be physical, it could be emotional, it could be sexual. Got it. Got it. And we've learned that mostly from looking at the research around fibromyalgia, where there's a large percent of the fibromyalgia population that oftentimes will report, report some kind of, of abuse or trauma early on in their life. So what we're seeing, John, is there's a priming of the nervous system that happens at an early age right. with, with, with trauma. That's why it's so important. And I think the psychologists, of course, deliver this message um, most deeply. It's so important that we help children and adults who have trauma that have never worked through it. That, that, is, that is beautifully put. And, and briefly, um, for, for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with fibromyalgia, is there a, a kind of a, a quick hit um, description that you can give them just so, so they understand what that is? Sure. Fibromyalgia is a pain processing disorder. So it's a disorder that typically people have unrefreshed sleep, they have digestive issues, and they have chronic widespread pain all over their body. Got it. Yep. Yep. That's, uh, and, I, and I've worked with that many times. Uh, I find that to be um, a, a syndrome or, or an issue that is um, very, very resistant to treatment as well because that pain is so real and so visceral um, and, um, and so uncomfortable that it really disrupts functioning sometimes entirely. Yeah, it's true. So when, with, with chronic pain, there's no, there's no one pain center in your brain. Right. There are many parts of your brain that all fire and all have a coordinated effort, a symphony, if you will, mm. of what happens when your brain produces pain. Yes. Now, of course, the, the one thing we think of the most is we think about, okay, the pain that I'm feeling in my back or in my neck, that's most obvious. Right. But the warning sign or the alarms that also accompany pain could be muscle tightness and tension, digestive problems. Mm-hmm. We already mentioned problems with focus and cognition. Right. Um, sleep disorders, we've just you know, mentioned a couple moments ago. There are so many different things. Even your, your brain can even produce swelling and redness in a limb where there's been no actual injury. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you know, just the power of the brain to create something that is akin to, I mean, it reminds me of anxiety where, you know, like if somebody is having a panic attack and they start considering 
um, the symptoms that they might suffer, they actually viscerally suffer those symptoms. You know, um, the the brain is a um, is a powerful, powerful um, organ that that makes uh, virtually the rest of the body suggestible in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the research, and you see this in clinical practice as well, mm-hmm. oftentimes those with chronic pain also have either depression mm-hmm. or or anxiety. And it makes perfect sense, and it's always what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right. Was it the anxiety first or was it the pain? Yes. And we still don't have an exact answer for that, but most of us who are in clinical practice would say it's the pain that comes first. Yeah. Because once you've lived with chronic pain for months, years, or some people have even lived with it for decades, mm-hmm. It's completely normal that you start to feel sad and blue. Right, of course. And you, right. you, go, to the, you go to the doctor and your, your primary care physician diagnoses you with depression. And oftentimes what I want to say is, you know, you're not depressed. It's that you've had this problem for so long that this is one of the side effects, so to speak. Yeah, depression is a side effect. The pain is your main issue. Yeah, and the same yeah. is true. The same is true with anxiety. You know, we we often know that those with anxiety get tightness and tension and pain with it. But when you think if you had chronic pain first, it's very very understandable that you're going to be anxious because you're constantly thinking or ruminating about when is the pain going to turn on again? Sure. Am I always going to have this pain? Is this pain always going to be here? This pain is going to be the death of me. And in the psychological realm, this is called pain catastrophizing. So these are the thoughts that people with chronic pain often have that as professionals, we need to help them reframe some of their thoughts and their experiences so that we can decrease not only their pain intensity, but also the duration of their pain. So as we work with patients and we reframe some of these uh, behaviors and thoughts and it kind of brings us back full circle to the start of our, our podcast when those, some of the beliefs that people have. Yes. As we start to reframe those beliefs, and I want to make sure we talk about those in, in depth, Yep. that it will change the way pain is produced in your brain. It'll dull it, and many times it'll take it away 100%. Now that I can imagine there are is a good subset of our listeners who just got a little bit closer to their speakers thinking like, you know, I've experienced chronic pain for an awfully long time and that sounds amazing, even dulling the pain um, after all this time, whether it be a year or a decade or whatever. Um, So how do I get past this catastrophizing? How do I begin to heal my pain now, so to speak? Yeah. We need to realize first that in our medical system, we have a biomedical model. Mm -hmm. That has occurred around chronic pain. That's a big fancy word. And it's it's really simple. It just means that when it comes time to treating pain, we treat it with pharmaceutical medications, surgery, and injections first. Okay. And we know that system is broken. It does not work to heal your pain, and it's not going to take your chronic pain away. Tell me what more we, about that. So so that that's that, um, I'm, I'm a little confused that, that if, that's, if that's our first intervention and we know that that's not going to um, take our chronic pain away, is it just to alleviate kind of that short term, you know, like we're, gonna, we're going to relieve you of some immediate pain so that you can do some of this other work? Yeah, there's two ways to look at it. So going back to the start of our conversation when we spoke about acute pain, our healthcare system does an amazing, incredible, wonderful job for treating acute pain. So if you're in an accident, if you have a, you know, a trauma, then our system is, is incredible and right. it, it does great things for you. 
the challenge is that our, our system doesn't look at the, the psychosocial level that is involved in the pain experience. And that's oftentimes what's missing. And taking a drug like an opioid, which we now have about 3 million Americans who take opioids for their, their pain problem, and we're, we're losing about 20,000 people from overdoses, mm-hmm. we know that it doesn't work for, for long-term chronic pain. The NIH backs that up. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, backs it up. So we're rapidly moving away from that biomedical model, and we're moving more toward the biopsychosocial model. And that's many of the aspects we're talking about today on, on your podcast. Yeah, and, and, um, and because of the risks of long-term opioid use, um, it feels like a far better answer and um, empowering in a way, right? The biopsychosocial model suggests you have some agency over this pain. And, and that, I would imagine, to a lot of your patients and a lot of mine, it must come as a great relief, just the idea of it. Absolutely. I think one of the things we, we really want to keep in mind is many patients feel disempowered. Mm-hmm. They've, they've seen anywhere between five to 10 practitioners, physicians and nurse practitioners, massage therapists, the healer on the corner. Right. I mean, people, with, people with chronic pain try everything. And eventually they get to the point when they say, nothing's worked. I'm always going to have this pain. So part of the responsibility that all of us have as practitioners is to really re-empower the patient mm-hmm. that first of all, they have control over this Two, that it does not have to be chronic. And three, there is a way out of this 100% naturally that doesn't involve a, a, a drug that you and I um, know well very John that can be addictive sure. and, and, and damaging. And when we talk about pain having causing cognitive impairment, not only does pain cause cognitive impairment, but the prescription medications that we're, we're giving to patients, we're prescribing to patients, doubles that cognitive impairment. And we know without a doubt that opioids decrease your cognition on many, many different levels. So we right. have this kind of, you know, we have this awful um, kind of stew brewing that we're really doing, you know, we're really trying to rapidly unwind. Yeah, yeah. And is that part of, um, is that part of the reason we write a book? You know, that, that says heal your pain now and let's get to that biopsychosocial model um, as opposed to working from a strictly medical model that we know in, in, over time is eventually going to work against us. And in fact, the more medication you take, the less likely you're going to be able to manage this on your own in a cognitive way or a uh, biological way or a social way. And that, that's absolutely right. After 22 years of treating patients in one of the busiest physical therapy clinics in New York City, I saw thousands of patients come through my door that ultimately physical therapy and some of the other lifestyle strategies that I could give them, like mind, mindfulness-based stress reduction and some nutritional interventions, were the last resort for them, but were the one thing that helped them the most. And what I, when I love talking to psychologists, I, I, you know, the psychologists and physical therapists, are, we're both therapists. Right. We're, we're kind of oftentimes the end of the road. People don't often come to us first. Right. But I often tell people the way out of many of our chronic healthcare conditions and chronic pain being the top of the list is through the therapy profession. Mm. And we've done, a good, we've done a pretty good job in the therapy professions, physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, psychotherapists at banding together. And one of the messages I really try to push through is we have a lot more space to do in that arena, to band together, to write books like my book, Heal Your Pain Now, and to give people the natural tools from that biopsychosocial perspective on how people can really re-empower themselves 
and heal their pain and really take back a life where they can have joy and purpose again. Yeah, I mean, and there's and there's certain elements. Um, just browsing through your book, and and, I, and I've got to get deeper into it for sure. Is 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 the empowerment issue that there's some cognition work that you can do to get past your pain, and I um, I pick up here and there that there is behavioral things that you can do. Like um, one thing I notice in my patients who experience chronic pain is they retract. They kind of they kind of pull away from their life. And, um, and they don't do the things, and part of it, that it is that it's truly painful. Um, but when they get sedentary, I, I'm finding that, well, the pain seems to get worse. Um, uh, did you find something similar? Absolutely. The more sedentary you are, the more weight you're going to put on, the more stiffer your joints are going right. to be. You're going you're to lose your muscle mass. There are many physical attributes that happen from a sedentary lifestyle. It's also important when we talk about pain is to realize that there is a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is what you feel in your body. Mm -hmm. That's what you feel in the physical part of your body. Suffering is the emotional response that occurs to the pain experience you're having. And when you mention isolation, yes, which many people with chronic pain, I love that you brought it up, John, many people with chronic pain, they're at home, they're isolated, they're losing their ability to be mobile. Right. They lose their ability to have gainful employment. And most importantly, their, their personal relationships start to suffer. Right. It's where, right. It's where our, our jobs start to crisscross, right? Because, because, right, because all of a sudden now we are um, not functioning well in our lives and um, the, the, the suffering response to the pain in the body um, becomes debilitating. That's correct. And it's really important to realize that oftentimes we have to work on that isolation and we you know, empower people oftentimes through groups. That's why I have an online program where I help people in a group setting, which is wonderful because people get to, when they relate in a group, there's so much more interaction and so much more information and so much more learning that happens both consciously and unconsciously in a group setting. So it's one of the ways that we really can amplify how to deliver this message to those who need it. Oh, I can imagine that there is great synergy in a group. Um, I can imagine that people call themselves out uh, or each other out for, you know, like, boy, you can, there, there, there's more that you can do. They come up with ideas and the support must be um, something that's immeasurable, right? Something that neither you nor I could do one on one. That's correct. Yeah. The support, the support is really key. Obviously, having a clinician, you know, a practitioner who can lead the group is wonderful. Sure. But ultimately, you find um, you really find these personalities that develop in the group, and there's always someone who um, supports the the person who who's new who needs the most help, or there's someone who becomes like the ambassador for the group. So even though the psychologist is leading the group, that person is like your right-hand man, and they really can um, deliver the message in a way that's very different because we think as we think like clinicians. We don't necessarily always think from the patient's perspective. So groups can be a wonderful way to help people heal. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. So, um, so, so what are we missing here in terms of your approach? So I get, I get that, that you come from a biopsychosocial model. Um, you, you think a lot about the brain and pain. You mentioned early on, um, and maybe this is when you, just you and I were talking, that you have a quiz that you ask people to take um, that kind of gives them a little guidance. I do have a great quiz. It's called the pain quiz. So if you go to www 
thepainquiz.com. It'll tell you the root cause of your pain and what you can do to start healing. Mm. The thing that we're missing here that we talk about in that quiz is fear. Yeah. It's completely understandable that when you have pain, you start to fear movement. And we know that as fear avoidance behaviors. So you become less active, you become sedentary, which you mentioned before. But one of the key aspects when you work with someone with chronic pain, and often I get psychologists that ask me this question because sometimes, you know, a new psychologist is not so well versed in, in pain. Sure. And I tell them the key to working with someone with pain is that if you can decrease their fear or if you can take their fear away, it quiets down that amygdala, which is very, very active in, in anxiety as well. Right. And once you quiet down the amygdala and you decrease that fear, pain will start to decrease very rapidly right, right, right behind it. Wow. I really want my listeners to pause here on that thought that, you know, like if you can, if you can quiet that fear, then, then you, your pain will, it might not go away, but will diminish. So the fear exacerbates the pain significantly, huh? That's correct. The, the more fear you have, mm-hmm. the more your nervous system stays in that hypervigilant or that kind of wired state. And from that state, many things happen. We know anxiety happens from that state. Right. We know that chronic persistent pain happens from that state. We know that digestive issues happen from that state. There are so many things that can happen in the nervous system depending on what your genetic blueprint is. Sure. Or what your genetic markers are. Right. Th- things show up differently in different people. But fear is the one thing that we have to face when we have chronic pain. And we have to help our patients face it in a way that is comfortable for them, in a way that feels safe for them, and in a way that's compassionate for them. And compassion is very, very important mm-hmm. as you start to work with people who have chronic pain because they've been through they've been through many, many things. Um, I, you know, I have a woman who, who uh, is on my online program, and, and she's had three epidural steroid injections in her neck. Wow. And she's had two orthopedic surgeries. My gosh. And in addition to opioids and amitriptyline, which you know is an SSRI that uh-huh. is, is used for depression, but it's also used for neuropathic pain. Right. And she developed neuropathic pain because she had so many insults through the invasive procedures she had that fear and anxiety were the one thing that she struggled with on a daily basis. So we worked really, really deep on decreasing the fear in, in her life and changing some of those beliefs that pain can never go away, that an x-ray is going to tell me the cause of my pain, that um, arthritis means that my joints are degenerating. All those beliefs Uh get deeply rooted in your nervous system. And on a subconscious level, your brain turns on that pain as a warning sign every time you go to move. Fascinating. No, And no wonder you experience pain, all right? I mean, in, in a way, it's kind of like to hear you put it that way, it's like, Oh yeah, the the end result of that is inevitably going to be pain, and if you could look at it differently and eradicate um, some degree of that fear, um, yeah, I can imagine um, you're making perfect sense that you know some of that, at least some of that pain is going to go away and be tolerable at the very least. Yeah, and we have a tremendous responsibility as practitioners when we work with people who have pain is to be very mindful of the language we use with them. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes. Patients will come to me and they say, you know, I have my doctor gave me this diagnosis of fibromyalgia and he told me I'm going to have this for life and I'm just going to have to manage it. 
Right. I've heard this many times from patients who have come to me and it's just like, so help me just find ways to look at it and, and really come to acceptance that, you know, this is my plight. Right. Yeah. So think, think about it. If you're, if you're someone and you search for a solution and finally you find the man in the white coat hmm. who says to you, here's your diagnosis. You're going to have this forever and you're just going to have to manage the pain. Mm-hmm. Versus what I really try to educate physicians on, especially because they're the ones oftentimes that are running the test, the x-rays, giving the diagnosis, is that you have a pain processing problem. There are ways to solve this naturally. There may be one solution to solving your pain or maybe a couple. There's probably some part of a psychological benefit we're going to find for you. Right. And there's probably some part of a physical benefit we're going to have to start to integrate into your life. But some combination of those two once you find that sweet spot, you'll be able to work on your pain independently. You'll be able to have the power to decrease your pain. And if you do this frequently enough, because we know the nervous system especially likes very small, frequent episodes of training, right? that eventually, I think your pain will go away. I've seen it happen in other people, and I believe it can happen in you. I have to tell you, Joe, I love the language you use, you know, like um, I, I like the idea of a pain processing problem, you know, because a problem suggests a solution. And, and, and I just, just attending to all of the language over the course of this half hour or so, um, it all feels so empowering and in the end, very hopeful. I, I, I suspect that you would argue um, that there isn't anybody who's going to come into your office that you are going to find hopeless. Absolutely not. And, and, you know, hope is hope really starts, I believe, with the, the practitioner first because mm-hmm. patients. But, you know, like I said before, by the time they hit a therapist or a physical therapist or a psychotherapist, they're feeling a bit despondent. Yes. And uh, one of the things in, in chronic pain, when I looked at the research and writing writing my book that I found, which was fascinating, is the therapeutic alliance that occurs between the practitioner and the patient is often the most important part. It's not what type of CBT you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's not how many times a week. It's not you know someone, how long they've had pain. Oftentimes, it's the alliance. It's the ability for you as a practitioner to build that alliance and for the patient to look at you and say, I think I found the answer. I like this, this, this person. Yes. And I trust you. And now I'm ready to accept this and to move on and figure out how we can work on this together. Well, I, I cannot express in my field, yours, and, and most any field where somebody is needs to rely on a professional for relief, how important that alliance is. Uh, so I so appreciate you bringing that up. Um, we don't have a lot of time left. Is there a, a kind of a, a, any core part of your message that you feel like we haven't yet touched on that you want to make sure our listeners um, hear? The core part of my message is you have the ability to heal your chronic pain naturally. Know that chronic pain has to do with things that are happening in your body, but there's also always an emotional component behind it, whether it's fear, anger, or guilt. Mm -hmm. And once you really start to take that integrated approach, which is what I teach people, you'll be able to turn your pain around and you'll be able to live a pain-free life. 
Well, Joe, that is a, a, a message of enormous hope. I hope you're ready for an influx of patience. Um, uh, and I so appreciate your time here. I have learned a lot. I suspect everybody listening has learned an awful lot. And, um, and I invite you back to talk about this again, if you're willing. Absolutely. I love talking about this, John. It's been great chatting with you today. It's been, it's been wonderful talking to you as well. The book is called Heal Your Pain Now, the revolutionary program to reset your brain and body for a pain-free life. Joe, if people want to uh, get the book or get in touch with you or learn a little bit more about managing their, their pain, um, do you mind giving us a little information about how to get in touch with you? Yeah, the best place to go is my website at www drjoetata.com. So that's www.drjoetata.com. Okay, folks, that is uh, Dr. Joe Tata. Thank you again, uh, Doc, for your, for your time and for your expertise. I so appreciate it. And I think I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of people. Um, as usual, folks, you can find the Undo Anxiety podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, LiveLeadPlay.com, and WGN+. Plus. If you have any thoughts about the podcast, whether you'd like to be a guest or you have some thoughts about what we ought to talk about, write me at Dr. John Duffy, uh, rather John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. I so appreciate your time here today on behalf of Joe and myself. Thanks so much, and I will talk to you next time.